Rockhill Hospital was founded in 1900 and specialised in infectious diseases. It closed in 1998 when the Brownlee Clinic at Garton Naval Hospital opened, and while almost all of the building has been demolished bit by bit, the huge central water tower was instead renovated and still stands to this day. No longer a sprawling hospital grounds, it's now a wasteland with just one tower remaining. As I pulled myself over the high wall that separates the hospital grounds from the park, sleep freezing my hands and sticking my hair to my face, I was therefore expecting a wide open space in front of me. But instead, I found myself face to face with a maze of buildings, all circling the tower, yellow light blazing out of every window. These certainly didn't seem to match the original layout. These buildings were smaller and numerous, all strange shapes and odd sizes, and made from a variety of materials and styles. I could see a thatched cottage stuck between two red brick shop fronts, and a modern-looking square stucco building next to one that looked more Victorian. The spaces between each building were narrow and winding, and led in a looping path towards the tower right in the centre. I stood silently in the dark and wondered if they knew I was coming. They didn't respond to my approach, but stood seemingly at ease, like soldiers in an encampment. I wondered if they knew I was there. The ghost was now back in pigeon form, sitting on my shoulder, and we began to move carefully through the tiny paths towards the tower. I avoided the doorways and tried not to look inside the windows of the ghost buildings. Something about it freaked me out. We crept along, trying not to touch the walls of any buildings or make a sound as we moved further and further into the maze. There was no apparent organisation to it. More than once I chose a pathway only to circle right back to where I had started. Every now and then a building would shift slightly as if stretching and I would be reminded of how precarious it all was. Once it happened just as I turned a corner and I saw what had been a straight path to the centre turn into a dead end. It was hard to remain silent while so frustrated and anxious. The pigeon helped by flying above the buildings and alerting me to promising routes, but it needed to hide as much as I did. It was slow and stressful work. I was nearly discovered once, when I tripped on a brick left over from the demolition and toppled headlong into a ghostly wall. I managed to stay quiet, but the collision sent a shiver down the building, and that created a chain reaction around us as the ghosts all moved to focus on where I had landed. I rolled along the ground, desperate to stay out of sight, and dropped down into what seemed to be a ditch. I lay still, terrified a building would move above me and trap me. I saw the pigeon fly into the space I had just been in, flap wildly, and after a few minutes the building seemed to relax and settle down once again convinced it was a false alarm. I waited a full five minutes more before I dared make another move. My arm and shoulder ached from where I had hit the wall. It had felt solid and rough and very real. I was curious about that, even through my fear and my worry about Harris. I remembered how real the ghost village we had encountered had felt as well. We and a bunch of other people had interacted with it for hours. What made them able to do that? Did they have some sort of special power that other ghosts didn't have? Or were all the grounded ghosts able to use that kind of power and simply chose not to abuse it? I knew that the motorway ghost had been able to stop my car. 
and that the ghost tugboat had carried me for miles, not to mention Francis's antics at home. There was still so much I didn't understand. I continued on for what seemed like hours when at long last I got a glimpse of my destination. I didn't know why I knew that Harris would be in the water tower, but from the guarding nature of the ghost buildings it seemed likely. I stumbled into the space between the ghost buildings and the tower and immediately began to look for the entrance. There was a single door in the base, but it was padlocked shut. The three other walls had tiny windows. One of them was open, as if someone had broken in that way recently. I glared at the small entrance, wondering if I was going to fit. Somewhere inside, Harris was in trouble. I had to try. I got jammed in about halfway through and had to painfully scrape my back and already sore shoulder to force my way in, falling down onto the floor. At least I had managed to get inside. I stood, no longer bothering to try and clean up my clothes, and with the pigeon back on my shoulder, looked around. It was almost pitch black, the only source of light from the open window I had just entered from. For the first time, I was glad that the ghost buildings were outside. Without their bright lights, I might not have been able to see anything at all. I let my eyes adjust to the darkness, and found the start of a staircase. It looked extremely flimsy, but I knew that the building had been renovated in 2014 and guessed that at least the stairs should be safe. I added those fears to all the others and began climbing up the water tower. Once we were above the window, it was almost completely dark. I ended up on my hands and knees, feeling ahead of myself, while the pigeon brushed softly at my ear for encouragement. More than once I felt overwhelmed and had to stop and then force myself to continue. Finally, we reached the last stair, and I took a deep, shuddering breath. Now we were here, I felt more determined, my urge to run diminished. It was the point of no return. I stood and headed forward, finding a ladder in front of me, which I climbed. Above was an open trapdoor. I pulled my way in. Suddenly, there was light again. I was near the top in a rounded room with ceiling-to-floor windows all around, without any glass open to the elements. It was freezing cold, but blessedly light. In the centre of the room lay Harris, seemingly asleep or unconscious. Surrounding them was a fast flock of pigeons. As one, they swivelled their heads to look at me. I glared at each and every one of them, turning my head to face them all. Then I crawled over to Harris and checked for signs of life. Harris moaned quietly, but remained asleep. I breathed a sigh of relief, then faced the ghosts again. I hope you're all ashamed of yourselves, I announced, raising my voice over the sound of the wind outside. The pigeons did not respond, other than to shift slightly about. I'm guessing someone told you that taking a human who can see ghosts would help you, is that right? That hurting the living would somehow give you back your identities? Tell me if I'm wrong. I saw a few bobbing heads in the flock and shook my head. Well... That is a lie. I don't know who's been lying to you, but I'm telling you now, hurting the living does nothing to help you. Not at all. Only by listening to us can we do you any good, and frankly, I am not feeling inclined to help any of you tonight. There was a strange shiver in the flock, as if doubt was permeating the blank gauges of the pigeons. Some of them had even dropped eye contact with me. I pressed on. I have proof of this. 
but I'm only going to show it if I have permission, and either way, I am taking Harris home, and I wouldn't try to stop me if I were you. As I said this, I looked around, trying to pick my pigeon out from the others. I knew that this could put it in danger, so I gave an out. But, to my quiet delight, one pigeon walked towards me, stood next to me, and turned to face the flock. I continued. I met a lost soul. I talked to it. We learned together about stories and identity, and we worked on giving it what it wanted. Personhood. More than just being one in a crowd. And we have begun to succeed. At this, the pigeon changed into the now familiar child shape. The other pigeons went wild. They flapped, flew, moved about, moved closer or backed away. In that moment, I felt a little triumphant. I began to manoeuvre Harris's body up, ready to try and get us both out the tower. But as I began to get onto my feet, the wind picked up, suddenly so strong that I was knocked back again. I could almost feel the room moving about around me. The light that was coming through the window suddenly darkened. Pelting rain and hail began to blow into the room. I screamed and threw myself over Harris. The pigeons began to panic, and my own pigeon turned back and dove under my arm. A shriek carried over the howl of the wind, and a voice cried out in terrible fury. So you think you can convince my little lost ones to abandon me just like that? Stupid girl. You see my army outside. How can you compete with that? I squeezed Harrison's hand tightly and shut my eyes against the rain and hail. I could feel the gentle touch of my pigeon friend under my arm, and a small part of my mind wondered at how solid it had become. I shouted back, Well, it looks to me like I've done more for them so far than you have. I at least gave one of them some strength and substance. They all deserve that. It's all they want. You just turn them into something no human would ever want to get close to. I think you've been trying to help yourself, whoever you are. There was no way the creature attacking me could possibly hear me over the wind, but the pigeons, even though they were flapping against the weather, seemed to be trying to hear every word. Although, I conceded, you do seem to have a bigger army than me. For the moment! The voice screamed again, and I wondered if maybe it had heard me after all. I began trying to haul Harris towards the trapdoor again, fighting against the wind. All I had managed to do was enrage the creature that had decided we were enemies. All around me, the pigeons were swirling. Come now, fly to me and let us abandon these useless humans to their suffering, screamed the voice. This was it. I leaned over and kissed Harris on the forehead. I looked up, expecting to see the birds leave. Instead, they continued to swirl, no longer as one, but as separate beings, all confusion and concern. Well, at least that was something. Ha! I laughed. Maybe laughing at a powerful creature that wants me hurt was a bad idea, but I was numb with cold and past the point of fear. They don't have to do what you say anymore. They can be what they want tonight. They could fly away from here. They could even change shape. They're amazing. The voice gave a final rage-filled scream, and the tower shook with the strength of it. With a crashing shudder, the floor fell through and I felt empty air beneath me. Harris and I dropped with no time to process what was happening. 
I braced for the floor below, but we continued to fall down and down and down. Then, with a huge fluttering of feathers, we were surrounded by pigeons, and our fall was stopped by countless beating wings. Glasgow Ghost Stories is written and produced by Libby Thomas. Narration is by Libby Thomas. Credits are read by Harris Jones. The theme music is by Kevin MacLeod and can be found at the Free Music Archive. Sound effects from freesound.org. Follow us at Glasgow Ghost Stories on Twitter and Tumblr and visit us at glasgowghoststories.wordpress.com for transcripts of every episode. That's right, I'm back. I survived, thanks to Libby and her new friend. It turns out the pigeons are actually quite charming once you get to know them. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>